0: Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you and thank you for bringing us through another week so that we could come here and gather corporately to offer our worship to you. Uh, Lord, you are the head of the church. You are worthy of all honor and praise and glory. Uh, you are the hero of this church. And in the preaching time today, we want to lift the name of Jesus high and exalt him again. Lord God, as we enter into a new sermon series on the book of Colossians, we pray your help. We pray, Spirit, that you would do your work amongst us, whatever that work may be, and it may take many different forms, but we pray, Lord, do that, come amongst us, wield your word, Spirit, and change us, transform us, encourage us, lop parts off of us that need to be lopped off, add parts uh, so that we look increasingly like jesus christ we pray these things in jesus name amen well this morning we are starting a journey a fresh journey through this letter this new testament letter called colossians and our journey of 16 planned sermons will take us if the lord wills up to the end of july This letter, we're gonna jump right in here, this this epistle, this letter called Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul. And it ended up, the letter did, it ended up originally in the hands of the first century church in the city of Colossae. Now, the names on that map are a little small, hopefully you can make them out. The ancient city of uh, Colossae, it's marked there in white print, Uh, just to the right of center on the map this city sat in what is modern day southwestern turkey it was a city that had once upon a time enjoyed a thriving wool industry but by the time paul wrote his letter which we call colossians the city of Colossae had declined quite markedly in terms of its stature and its significance the city was made made up mostly of Gentile people. But there is also evidence that between 1,000 and 2,000 Jewish people also lived in the city when Paul wrote his letter. It's important to recognize that Paul never had visited the city of Colossae. He had never personally visited the church there. In fact, it had been this man who was native to the city of Colossae, a man named epaphras who had brought the gospel to the city during a time when paul had been only about 130 kilometers away over in ephesus preaching and teaching but now only about six or seven years after this church had been planted paul the apostle wrote to the church and why did he do that well because epaphras had come to visit paul As Paul sat in his Roman prison, you see Rome there, if if your eyes are good, way, way, way up to the left-hand corner of the map there in white. Rome was the city where Paul was in captivity. As he wrote Colossians, he was in captivity because of his gospel activities. Epaphras had come to Paul in Rome, bringing Paul both good and not so good news about the church in colossae so paul writes now to this church from his roman prison cell both to encourage his fellow believers in colossae but also to steer them a little to guide them away from false ideas to a more firm footing in the supreme matchless Jesus Christ. The letter opens with Paul's greeting. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Paul identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. That is to say that Paul, though he had not been one of the original 12, Paul had also been called specially authorized and sent out as an emissary of jesus christ just as the original 12 had and notice here paul is a divinely authorized sent apostle of who of christ jesus now the word christ we would be tempted maybe in reading this intro to kind of gloss over this but the word christ is the greek equivalent of the hebrew word Messiah. Paul is an apostle of Messiah, Jesus. This is significant. The Jewish people had long expected the arrival of their Messiah. The whole story of the Jewish people had included this yearning for Messiah's arrival. The underlying claim here in verse 1 is that the Messiah has come and he is to be identified with this Jesus person who had hailed from Nazareth, Messiah Jesus. And, and Paul's authorization as an apostle of Messiah Jesus had happened, he said, how? By the will of God. In other words, Paul had not organized his own role as an apostle, He had not simply decided himself one day that he should be an apostle. No, the risen Messiah Jesus, we remember the story, had personally shown up, hadn't he, in front of Paul on the Damascus Road that day. And very, very dramatically, Jesus had authoritatively called and commissioned Paul for the role of apostle. In this greeting to the Colossian church, Paul brings in another person. Why friends? Because Christianity is a community thing, isn't it? Timothy, our brother, who's Timothy? Well, he's younger than Paul and Timothy had proven to be a trusted, very valuable co-laborer in ministry. And it's quite probable that Timothy here was acting as a sort of secretary. Timothy was acting as as a person who was writing down in this letter what the elder Paul was dictating verbally to him there in the prison. Timothy, our brother. Now, what kind of word is that? Brother, it's a family word, yes? Yes. Timothy is part of God's family. Paul is part of God's family. You and I are part of God's family if Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. In verse 2, Paul then names the recipients of the letter to the saints and faithful brothers. Or we could translate that viably like this, to the holy and faithful brothers. To the holy and faithful brothers. In Christ at Colossae Now please notice that phrase in Christ at Colossae there are two what we could call GPS coordinates that Paul gives in this phrase First of all the faithful believers in the church of Colossae are in Christ that is their spiritual GPS Their spiritual location, the holy sphere in which they live as human beings, is in Christ. They live their lives in vital union with the crucified and risen and returning king, Jesus Christ. In Christ. But then the second GPS coordinate in this phrase, of course, is in Colossae. So these people who are in Christ live physically, and they live actually in a particular city. Namely, they live in that insignificant city in Asia Minor called Colossae, where there was once a thriving wool industry. You see, friends, these people live in these two GPS coordinates at the same time simultaneously their being in Christ is concurrent with their being in or at Colossae and their being in Christ listen must necessarily make a difference to how they live at Colossae yes just as it is for us today we who are in Christ in Montreal should necessarily look and talk and act different than our neighbor who is outside christ in montreal our being in christ should make a quantifiable difference to how we live to how we work the leisure activities that we pursue how we drive on the 40 how we relate to others, how we conduct ourselves at Montreal. Being in Christ changes everything for us as we are at Montreal. And so the word of God is already asking us a question here at this opening stage of Colossians. Is asking you, and it's asking me, this very week, which is now started, it's Sunday, how will our being in christ make a tangible difference as we conduct our day-to-day affairs in montreal or if you're planning to travel elsewhere this is portable right in christ at gatineau in christ at edmonton i don't know if any of you are going to my hometown but the point is my prayer is That God would be glorified in us, his church, as we are bearing fruit in Christ at Montreal or wherever we are. Well, Paul next expresses a blessing on the Colossian church as this letter opens. He says, grace to you and peace. Oh, how we need both. Grace to you and peace from God, our father, as Michael Byrd has put it, I think rather succinctly, this is a greeting. He says of divine favor and divine embrace, a greeting of divine favor and a greeting of divine embrace. Grace in this context is divine favor that is not based on any merit. Grace is divine favor that is actually given contrary to what we deserve. And peace, shalom, well-being in this context comes through God reconciling us to himself by the cross. It is a divine embrace because of the work of Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. And then Paul proceeds, as was his usual custom in his letter writing, he proceeds next to a thanksgiving section. Paul is thankful. Are you thankful today? Paul is thankful for what he's heard concerning the Colossian Christians. He says, listen to what he says. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Messiah Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Now what we find here, hopefully you've noticed this, is that familiar Christian triad of faith, love and hope. Now this triad is really, we could take this as, it's, it's sort of a summary of what makes a Christian a Christian. But what I want you to notice in particular here is this, the dynamic between love and hope. Paul says in particular here, he says that the love that the Colossian believers have for all the holy ones around them, the love that they have for the church, is because of the hope laid up for them in heaven you notice that, the Colossians love their acts, their works of love. These things spring from the hope that they have. So that hope, friends, is the wellspring here. Hope is the origin of, hope is the basis of love. Love blossoms out of hope now last sunday was easter sunday and if you were with us we exulted together in our time of worship over our great hope our great and sure hope as believers in jesus christ is the resurrection of our bodies one day we will be given transformed bodies yes we will enjoy the same everlasting imagine it the same everlasting condition as the risen jesus because of his first fruits resurrection we as believers will likewise be raised the bible teaches to everlasting physical life and this will happen on the last day this is our great hope and this hope will not disappoint. Are you with me this morning? When Paul mentions the hope laid up in heaven in verse five of our passage, he's talking about the same resurrection hope. It's a hope that centers on who? The risen Jesus Christ. It's a hope that is secure. It is a hope that is certain. It is a hope that is absolutely 100% assured in its outcome. But now, the thing about our resurrection, listen carefully, the thing about our resurrection, in terms of how the New Testament authors conceive it anyway, is that it is future for sure. It is not yet, it will happen on the last day when the trumpet sounds. But yet, it is also already. Resurrection is now, in a sense. So Paul can say in this very letter, in Colossians 3 verse 1, that believers already have been raised with Christ. We have been raised with Christ, that is already we are living as believers. We are living in resurrection power. Already we have been raised in a sense, even as we await our physical resurrection, which is not yet. So that the resurrection for the believer, we could summarize it this way. The resurrection is already not yet. It is already not not yet. And again, this is, this is the hope laid up in heaven that Paul mentions in verse 5. Our hope is, friends, Christian friends, this already not yet, this, this present, unseen, yet still coming resurrection. And getting back now to that connection that we noticed, Paul says here, That love for all the saints, in verse 4, is because of our hope laid up in heaven, verse 5. Well, how does this work exactly? How does resurrection hope give rise to love? How does resurrection hope cause love to manifest? Well, here's how I understand this. When you are a person who has and I'm talking about true deep resurrection hope. When you are people when you are a person who has that, you don't cling too tenaciously to this present world and your potential 85 90, 100 years in it as a person with actual resurrection hope you don't clutch too anxiously or too obsessively to your brief lifespan on this side of the grave as a person with real resurrection hope you know you know with full assurance from your God that while this side of the grave is most certainly important and it is most certainly crucial, your time in this brief lifespan must be spent wisely under God, no doubt about it, but you know that this isn't all there is for you. And this knowledge, this this resurrection hope, has the effect, friends, of freeing you to love others with your time here. Resurrection hope breeds self-sacrificial acts and deeds of love in the now. And I think that's how the connection works in our passage. And I had a little help this week from John Calvin on that resurrection hope breeds present love resurrection hope gives rise to acts of love resurrection hope frees people up to engage in god-honoring god-glorifying selfless works of love and so i ask you the question from the word of god this morning my friend do you have a deep strong current of resurrection hope running through your soul right now that has been planted there by Almighty God. You can when you repent of your sins and trust Jesus as Lord and Savior and are born again. Paul concludes, by verse, uh, concludes verse five by saying this, of this of this resurrection hope that is laid up for you in heaven, you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. The Colossians had heard about this resurrection hope in the word of truth, the gospel. And here Paul is borrowing from Psalm 119 verse 43 where scripture is called the word of truth. So the Colossians had heard of the resurrection hope in the pages of scripture. They had heard the good news. They had listened to the gospel hope of resurrection, which was revealed to them even in their Hebrew scriptures, in their Old Testament, which is all they had. And Epaphras had come along providentially, expositing those scriptures to them, preaching the gospel to them. And their digestion of this resurrection hope from the scriptures had produced in them works of love, words of love, love to neighbor, love to all the saints. So friends, I hope we can see here something of the sheer importance of being exposed to the living and active scriptures. The message of the resurrection hope in the scriptures had ended up causing this tangible love that was happening in the church. Exposure to the word of God by the power of the spirit had produced beautiful things. And it still can today. And then we come to verse six, which I think is really the centerpiece of the whole passage. Stay with me here, watch this. Paul says, You have your Bible open. You can read it or we have it on on screen. Paul says that the gospel message, the gospel word of Jesus Christ crucified and risen, listen, has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. The gospel message of Jesus Christ had been fanning out beyond the borders of Israel into the whole world, says Paul, into various Gentile populations. Yes just as the gospel message had been bearing such beautiful fruit in the Colossian church, so also now, in the words of Michael Byrd, he says, the word of the gospel was heard and was garnering adherence across various political, ethnic, and territorial borders. Just as it continues to do in 2023, right? And our, our own churches, beautiful god-ordained ethnic mix is a shining example a remarkable testimony of the worldwide reach of our beautiful gospel but we need to go deeper here with our verse what paul is doing here specifically is he's going back to the first chapter of the bible here in verse 6 paul is clearly referencing Genesis 1 and verse 28. What is Genesis 1 28? Well Genesis 1 came right on the heels of God creating Adam and Eve in his image and likeness In Genesis 1 God commanded the freshly created human couple he commanded them to do what to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over all the dolphins and mackerel and all over all the robins and pelicans and over every living thing that moves on the earth now notice a major part of the original commission that God issued to the first two human beings, our representatives, was to bear fruit and multiply and fill the earth. Part of what it meant for Adam and Eve to bear God's image, to reflect God, was to bear children, but not just any children, The children or the offspring that God had in mind were to be children raised to love God, to obey God's voice, so that those children would likewise grow up to have God honoring children of their own, so that those children would multiply and still more godly progeny would arise and so on and so forth down the line, so that in the whole process, listen, this is the important part, in the whole process, God's glory would fan out and multiply and spread beyond the confines of Eden throughout the entire earth. The goal was that the entire earth would be populated increasingly in ever-expanding concentric circles, would be populated with God-reflecting, God-glorifying people, God-obedient people, who would exercise godly dominion over the whole earth. The whole earth, friends, was meant to be filled with God's glory in this way. But what happened? Well, of course, Adam and Eve fell into sin. After God had given them that mandate. And now an absolutely horrible wrench was thrown into the wheels. And so that divine mandate to be fruitful, to multiply, to spread God's glory throughout the earth, this mandate had to be repeated again and again and again throughout the subsequent history of fallen Israel. Genesis 9, 1 and 9, 7, after the flood, God said to Noah and his sons, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Noah and your sons, you are the new Adam. Genesis 12 2 and 15 5 and 17 2 and 17 6 and 22 17. God promised that Abraham's offspring would be greatly multiplied. Abraham is the new Adam. Genesis 26:4 and 2624. God promised multiplied offspring to Isaac also. And the same promise came to Jacob in Genesis 28. And again, in Genesis 35, 11, God said this to Jacob, be fruitful and multiply. And in both Genesis 47, 27 and Exodus 1, 7, we learn that now the people of Israel, the whole nation were fruitful and they multiplied even while they were in Egypt and so it goes throughout the rest of the Old Testament. This idea of being fruitful and multiplying crops up again in Leviticus 26:9, Psalm 107:38, Isaiah 51:2, Jeremiah 3:16 and 23:3, Ezekiel 36. 11. Again, friends, let's grasp the idea here. All along, God's design was that his glory would spread and multiply and increase throughout the earth. As his image bearers, that's you and I. As his image bearers obeyed his voice, obeyed his word, loved his commands, complied with his commands. If God's glory was to be spread worldwide through human beings, those human beings would have to live in obedience to God's commands. They would have to live in compliance with his life-giving word, which is precisely where Adam and Eve failed as they contravened what God had commanded. They disobeyed His word so that a huge part of the idea of God's glory spreading throughout the earth is God's word spreading throughout the earth through people who loved and obeyed and lived out that word and friends it's all of this it's this whole Old Testament complex that we've just described that Paul has in mind as he writes Colossians 1 6 again he says that the word of truth the gospel God's potent life-giving word had done what spread now to these mostly Gentile Colossians And the Colossians had loved that word. They were obeying that word. They were newly created in that word. They were in not the first Adam now, but the last Adam, the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. The Colossians were part of the new creation. They were united with the last Adam. And Paul says here that the same word of God that had come to them was in fact doing what? Bearing fruit and growing. That's Genesis 1:28 language. God's plan all along throughout the entire Bible, his word bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, the whole world. God's glorious word, his glorious revelation, his glorious voice, his glory was spreading throughout the entire world to Gentiles, praise God, hallelujah, and Jews alike. The Genesis 1 mandate was being fulfilled now in a new and in an escalated key that centered in the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. God's literal glory, think of it, his literal glory had descended to earth in the person of his son Jesus Christ. And now, those united with Jesus, his church, those united with the last Adam, those in the new creation, like the Colossian believers and Paul himself, Epaphras, Timothy, they were spreading and they were multiplying the glory of God. His word was reaching the ends of the earth. And where the Colossian Christians were concerned, there had been that day. (laughs) Notice, Paul says in verse 6, that day when they had heard and understood the grace of God in truth. That day was like day one of creation. And God said, let there be rebirth by my spirit for these Colossian people And there was. And this living gospel had come to them, notice in verse 7, it had come from who? From Epaphras. Just as you learned it, learned the gospel message from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Epaphras had been the agent of God who had come to these people with the treasure of the gospel. Epaphras had courageously evangelized these people. Paul calls Epaphras a faithful diakonos, a faithful minister, servant, on behalf of the Colossians. And now here's Epaphras with Paul in the Roman prison having brought this report to Paul and Timothy of how the Colossians were faring. And verse eight says, Epaphras had made known to Paul and Timothy the Colossians' love in the Spirit. And it's very fitting that the Spirit is mentioned here, just does the Spirit had hovered over the waters, had been active at the first creation, so now he was present and active at work in the new creation in the Colossian church. And now I wonder, my friends, my believing friends, can you think of an individual or individuals who spread multiplied the glory of God, the Word of God, in your direction. Who was it who first gave the gospel of truth to you? From whom did the saving message of Jesus Christ first come to you? Was there an Epaphras in your life? And who was that person? Who is that person? If that person is still alive, have you taken time to pick up the phone and thank them lately? And likewise, the more challenging question for us, if you're a person who has the treasure of the gospel, are you being an Epaphras to someone right now? And I don't leave myself out, I ask myself the very same question, when was the last time I risked sharing the precious gospel with someone in my life who needs to hear that message? are we being epaphrases in our circles whatever circle you're in faithful ministers of the word of truth are we serving in proactive fashion to increase and multiply God's word throughout our neighborhoods throughout Montreal is being in Christ at Montreal something we are taking seriously may the Lord help us to be faithful witnesses Of the treasure that we have in Jesus Christ believers I want to bring encouragement never forget as you go out later today never forget that you and I have a great gospel a great gospel a great gospel to share with a spiritually starved world I leave you now to reflect a little on this I think fantastic quote I've come back to it often from the late Scottish pastor James Stewart, different James Stewart than the movie actor. Stewart said the following concerning the sheer greatness of the gospel that we are to be spreading that came to the Colossians through Epaphras. It's the same gospel we have today. Stewart wrote this, quote, Think of the news you and I are commanded to declare. That God has invaded history with power and great glory. That in the day of man's terrible need, a second Adam has come forth to the fight and to the rescue. That in the cross, the supreme triumph of naked evil has been turned once for all to irrevocable defeat. Hallelujah. That Christ is alive now and present through his spirit that through the risen Christ there has been let loose into the world a force which can transform life beyond recognition. This is the most momentous message human lips were ever charged to speak. Hallelujah and praise God. So go forth from here. I want to challenge you Spread the perfume of the great gospel of Jesus Christ, spread his glory, multiply, increase it, lift high his great name in your circles. Let's pray. Father, you have made us ambassadors as believers. Sometimes we forget the import and the importance of that. I pray, Lord, that by your spirit, as you have reminded us today, Help us to jump on opportunities that you give us to spread the gospel, to multiply and increase your glory throughout a starving world. And particularly in our day, Lord, it is showing signs of great spiritual starvation. So I pray, Lord, that we would be ambassadors going out, doing this great work in the power of the spirit not fearing because you are with us i pray in jesus name amen